Everybody and welcome to Spooky Action at a Distance. It's an occasional podcast that we're now doing for the second time in the coronavirus era. On the second full week of April, my name is Ray Gustinelli, and I'm here with my close friends and brother. In the case of Paul Gustinelli, Paul, say hi to the. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ray, brother, friend. <laughs> and Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, zooming in from his home in Denver. Brother from another mother. Brother. Hey, brother. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, um, good to see you guys. It's been a couple of weeks since last we convened when we've been talking about coronavirus for a few weeks now. How are you guys hanging in? Good, good. Paul, what's going on in your world? Yeah, I'm feeling really good. You know, I'm actually... Uh, and it, this might be true of you guys too. I'm past the, the the period where I'm feeling guilty about enjoying the the social distancing and the sheltering in place. It's it's just really good at a personal level, uh, in a good flow with you know Aria and her kids here, watching old movies, getting good work done, able to zoom in on my meditation group and with the coaching I'm doing. So things are actually from a local standpoint quite good. How about you? Ray, let me jump in if you don't mind. So um, uh, we, we held a little little kind of a service, a little thing for uh, my mom. Um, and so that was uh, really kind of lovely and cathartic. I did not think it would be as helpful as it was. It was just a little Zoom thing and we lit lanterns and let them go into the sky and, and reminisced and it was really lovely. And uh, again, my dad's doing real well. So, um, so that grieving piece of it is, uh, is I think I'm doing well. And then um, like Paul... Um, you know, I had been kind of social distancing as an amateur for years and years, <laughs> but now I do it professionally and, um, and frankly enjoying it. Um, you know, uh, Tommy and I, um, uh, it's kind of heaven for me. I love her company and I love being kind of in the home and doing a lot of reading and watching shows and, and this and that. It doesn't mean that I don't miss all the rest of it um, because there are these weird moments where I'm like, wow, you know, right now I'm going to walk to Walgreens and that's the most exciting thing I could do in the world. And it makes my heart so happy. And um, so I, I get it that it's a new normal and there's probably some, there's a poverty in my life right now. But it, 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 I agree with you that this week there was, uh, there was some joy and in, in maybe at least contentment with what some of what uh, my lot in life was. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if this will be part of what we get into later, Jeff. I know you've got a few things on your mind, but uh, it seems like uh, we're all discovering uh, new riches in the in in the. At the same time, there are uh, absences in our lives, and there will be a new normal. I think we all probably suspect that the what's to come after this sort of settles down will be different in some fundamental ways, and it'll be interesting to see how much of that has to do with the, the good things we're feeling now that we want to continue, in addition to some of the uh, the gaps in our lives that we, we try to fill but may not be able to fill quite as fully or fill in a different way. So interesting stuff, yeah. So, hey, I've got to let us, let me get us started, can I? So, um, you know, I was going to talk, uh, so much of our lives uh, are Zoom-centric right now. Right now we are uh, connecting with Ring Central, featuring Zoom. That's my mechanism to get everyone together. And I have some thoughts, and, and, uh, and we played around a little bit, and you guys don't necessarily agree, which is a, a fun way to start it. And that is just that people, um, you know, be camera ready. 
on, on Zoom, okay? Just as a, a courtesy to the universe. And, and I'm not talking about Hollywood. I, I'm not talking about Hollywood camera ready people, okay? I don't need you to be pretty. I don't need you, but, but, but I do need you to be wearing pants, all right? Um, at least, uh, it, it, I think it's physically, I would like that better. Um, but, but also, I think there's a psychological. People uh, jump in the shower once a day. Um, run a brush over your teeth once a day. Uh, this is this is good best practices for our lives. I think that um, there's nothing wrong uh, with uh, with going pantsless and uh, and without showering and that sort of thing. But that is a little bit of my admonishment to the world. Does it matter? I'm just. Does it matter to you, Jeff, if I actually have brushed my teeth or that I'm wearing pants, or is it more? It is what's really important that you believe I have. Because I would approach these with you slightly differently if those are different cases. Yeah, I'm not sure I have access to those emotions. Okay. Um, I think that's a really, that's a very, that's, I love the, I love what you're giving to me there and I want to yeah. honor that. Yeah. Um, but I guess my suggestion is, is I think we all act and feel and become a certain way with these best practices in our life. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I really do not, I'm not offended. Um, so much if you're not wearing pants right now. I don't know that yet. You haven't done a lot of moving around. Yeah. Um, and uh, it really wouldn't shake me up. But I went, to, I had a, a, a couple of court hearings for the first time on video. And there was one where a judge was involved. And I was suited up. I was suited up. And, um, and the judge was in a robe in her. But, but and, and this was, uh, this was a, um, a dependency and neglect matter, which interestingly enough, I'm, I'm, almost 100% the only male involved in these proceedings. When it's um, the Department of Health and Human Services, this is something that I think, it's actually, I think, kind of lovely about women that they have this heart for it. It's important to them. They're drawn to it. They're good at it. And so I'm usually only, and there was nothing even approaching business casual on anyone else. <laughs> And they looked great, and there's no need. I do, I do not need women to be wearing makeup. And, and if they want to, God bless them. You do whatever you want to do. But I, I did find it jarring that me and the judge were the only ones I see. Kind, of, kind of playing the game. And then we had a, 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 a meeting that was essentially with the Department of Health and Human Services, no judge involved, and, and people were not even trying. They were not <laughs> interesting. Trying. There were people out on walks. And, and – in some ways, God bless them. I mean, how great is that? But it is a business meeting. Um, and so, yeah, but Paul, what are your thoughts? I just got to give you a strong pushback on that, Jeff, from oh. my own personal standpoint. I've, uh, I've gone through this journey myself as I give Dharma talks every week on Monday night, and I lead sittings multiple times. I've got 40 people on my talks, eonzen.org, E-O-N-Z-E-N.org, if any of our listeners want to jump onto a meditation. And I have found myself uh, becoming more human in my presentation of my talks as I go into the Zendo instead of going out to our, our outside location where I've been for, for several years. And it's been, I've been keeping my upper Samoe on while the lower part, you know, has been more comfortable. And now I've gone to, oh, well, I'll just wear a short sleeve shirt. And progressively, I've gotten to that point of, do I have to shave? I really don't have to shave. And the hair is getting a little bit more wild, as you can see. And, <laughs> and what do I say? Now, I, it is very possible. I'm completely rationalizing this. But I'm like, I'm showing up in my humanity. 
I'm showing up. <laughs> and there's everybody else in the group. And some of them are lying down and some of them are in bed and some of them are lounged out with kitties, you know, running over their shoulders. A very different vibe from what we normally get in the Zendo where everybody is kind of formal. So I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back on you, Jeff. I say we go with the more informality and the humanity and more, more of it. I love it. I think that there's something to that. I mean, one of the fun things about all these Zoom meetings, and, and I, I've seen, a, I actually saw a little bit of a writing on it, and I thought it was going to be me introducing it to the world, but I saw in the Wall Street Journal about how there is an amazing connection with both professional and personal people when you see them with their kids, when their kids are running around in the background, screaming at mom, or just having fun, and or the cat or the dog. There is, there's a special moment where you're like, that is lovely. I love yeah. the fact that they've got this dachshund that in their entire life spends all their time in their lap. And we don't know that, yes. except now we do. And that's lovely. Yes. Let's go to the something far darker. Can we please? <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the things that, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who takes this stuff very seriously and I have for a long time. And one of the things that I think is, is an interesting, I don't know if it's a scandal. I don't know if it's a, but I think that one of the most important decisions made in this coronavirus pandemic, especially in the United States of America, was I think it was around March, and I wasn't able to identify it exactly. I think it was probably February 29th, um, a few days before March 2nd, the U.S. Surgeon General tweets because that's the most meaningful way to communicate. Um, and he tweets, he tweets uh, all <laughs> caps, all caps, stop buying masks, not effective in preventing the general public. Um, uh, but if healthcare providers can't get them, and, and I think there's the scandal, is that they were making a decision because we were just, and, and I, don't, I don't believe this is a federal government issue nearly as much as a state issue, nearly as much as a personal and a corporate issue. I think that hospitals, it's shocking to me how little personal protective equipment they have. I think it's shameful. I think it's ugly. Um, and I think that we were, being, we were told not to wear masks primarily because we really wanted doctors to have them because they work. Because, because I mean, you know, masks, it's, it's like if you go to a hospital, they're all wearing masks. And every Asian in the, in the world has been wearing masks since 2004. Some of them have not changed their masks, and they're doing great. They're doing just fine. So, um, you know, I was, I've been a little bit upset about that because now all of a sudden it's flipped and we all have to have them. And the magic is, is that really it can be just about anything over your face, right? Which is really good for us to understand. It's not, a, it's not an N95. It's not stripping out 95% of bad things. But having a cut-up T-shirt that you tie around yourself or a bandana or something like that is really healthy for all of us. And, and I would venture to say um, would have been a lot healthier at about February 29th for us all to be doing that. Not to be running out and going out and taking masks like you know I'm, I'm a little mortified that somehow like i'm the bad guy because because there's a bunch of hospitals going to home depot and and buying n95 masks i mean it's it's pretty absurd uh but uh, do you have any thoughts on that at all well I, I, you're a philosopher ray you go no well to, before we get into that i'd like to just to know that is part of the reason you're kind of pissed off about the earlier guidance to not wear the mask is that you actually were you had a bunch of those masks and it sort of you know disempowered you a little bit in a way that if they had come out earlier and said that it would have rewarded your prepper mentality which we have discussed on the pre pre previous 
podcasts and it kind of like devalued that. So you felt like, boy, you didn't get as many points as you deserved. I, you know what, there could be some of that. I mean, first of all, this kind of a prepper shaming that's going on mm-hmm. um, where people are like, hey, we were entirely unprepared. And, and it's like doctors and nurses and hospitals. And it's like, shame on you for having, I, I didn't go out and buy them. I had them. I mean, are, you, are you listening to me? And I actually, I've actually had to give my masks to frontline providers. God bless them. I mean, I think there's wisdom to that. Uh, but it is, I mean, I, I do hope there's a reckoning at some point in time to go, what the hell? I mean, how can you be so irresponsible to not be prepared? And, um, and I think the rest of the world is like, well, you know, we don't like the way you're doing it either. You know, there's, there's a tension that, that I think we are going to sort through a little bit. And you're exactly right. It's like, it's like when I, I had toilet paper, people, and people are like, you goddamn horrible people going out and buying the toilet paper. I, you know, it's like the fact that I was buying toilet paper in March. I'm a, I'm a hero, aren't I? Don't I have a cape? And then all of a sudden I'm this asshole that, you know, where there's this mom of six, mom with six butts to wipe. And, and she doesn't have toilet paper. And I'm like, mom, you might want to look inward on that one um, just a little bit. But I, I think you're right, man. I think there's this weird tension and it does make me feel like, um, like I'm a bad guy for, yeah. uh, for having both of uh, the procedure masks and, and N95s on hand. Yeah, and you certainly shouldn't feel like a bad guy, but it is, the, yeah, the, the whiplash uh, between the do not do this to a few weeks later, everybody should be doing this, is uh, <laughs> it just you know, it makes your head spin. And, and, you know, part of that, I think, is due to the limitations of making, like you said at the outset, ma- making Twitter be the mechanism that you're using to communicate what should be nuanced public health information. And when you have the attorney general just feeling the need to make some bold, simple recommendation without, you know, doing justice to the fact that this isn't necessarily a black or white issue. Of course they help. Like you said, it's, it's absurd to think they don't help. It's not, the, it's not the be all and end all. So, right. 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 Must do it tomorrow. In fact, it helps other people that, from what I understand more than the, the wearer of the mask, right? It prevents you from. Yeah, that's right. Doing the droplets and stuff like that. So yes, in general, as a, as a general practice, it is beneficial. So don't deny that at the same time. Is it something that everybody needed to be doing on day one of this? That's what he was getting at when he said, don't do it. But the, the communication mechanism was was not sufficient to the nuance of the message. And of course, the, the need or the desire to sort of send something out there is what is as equally absurd in this in this whole situation. I just got to say, when did you guys start expecting nuanced messages from Twitter or from the Surgeon General for that matter? Right, yes. I well, mean, yes, I got to cool. say, I got to say, like going right back to the beginning, like how much of your life personally have you been awaiting personal health decisions from all cap tweets from the Surgeon General. Well, but uh, that is a funny point from both of you, but you both missed my point. It's not that there was something more nuanced. It was that it was exactly wrong. Not that it needed to be more nuanced. The idea was actually, I believe that we might find that it was the most significant vector of pandemic that was done. The most significant decision, in my opinion, was to tell people not to wear masks. And, and where I believe if it had happened a month ago, it might have been more important than social distancing in some ways, because the, we really are spraying 
I'm a loud mouth, so my, I spray a lot more droplets than you do every time I speak. But <laughs> my point is a, a darker point, not that. Yes, not that and, and, and I'll go and I'll take that baton and run with it too and say, surely over the last hundred years, the Surgeon General has also given completely erroneous advice. <laughs> the food pyramid, the five food groups, antibiotic <laughs> usage, tobacco usage. How freaking long did it take? to say that smoking kills, you know? I mean, we really have to take the message. This is a government agency that's making a, a pronouncement that has a lot of economic factors, a lot of supply chain factors, a lot of capitalist interest factors that go into it, right? Yep, I mean, it's sugar, true. for God's sake, salt. I mean, all I, I'm just like throwing words out now. I don't even know exactly, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but you guys, you guys get what what I'm talking about, um, and and so you know there's 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 a behavioral control, right? A social engineering aspect to that pronouncement that he made, and really what you do, you guys are smart guys, right? You go to the more informed sources about what we should be eating, what protection mechanisms, right? You, you, you know, you guys are doing that, and that's that's what we need to do. That's that's the mass. Mark the mass media political message coming down from Surgeon General. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I let's let's uh, go ahead and try to put a capstone on that piece of it because I agree with you. And, and you know, we it's funny how we revisit themes that are important to us, things that make us fearful or this and that. And and I think what what I'm saying was very eloquently put together by you, and that is is that guys, scientists are not the new priests. And they're not, they're not the new, they're not dispensing just brilliance all, all the time. They're not. They're right. just human beings and, and they don't know. And, you know, you've always got another Bunsen burner you can light. And, and like you said, the Surgeon General's track record is, is wonderful, but it's also horrible, right? And, and my point is, is that people, you know, don't depend on the government. Don't depend on the Surgeon General necessarily. There is a component of, of human, of your own responsibility, right? Individual, because it's not always going to be perfect coming from somewhere else. And I do want to make very clear that, listen, where we need to be is washing your hands and not touching your face is magic, right? Um, that, and, and, and getting inoculated. Those are more important than wearing masks, I think. Uh, but probably about fourth place is wearing a mask and mm. social distancing. And so it's interesting that you, you, you uh, Ray, you called it whiplash. Um, and I think we can all do better. And that science, you know, they're the, I think that real good scientists are the first to say, we're not saving anyone here. Okay. I mean, we're not the new gods and we're certainly not the new priestly class. You guys have to be smart because we're doing our best. Um, and that's scary to think that we're still a long ways away from a vaccine. Yeah, seems like it's going to be a while. Absolutely. So let me hit you with this. And, and so if, I, if it's possible for me to go uh, dark, you know, jump from the darkness of the frying pan into the darkness of the fire. Wait, that didn't quite work. <laughs> no, that, that, that metaphor doesn't hold but a darker, a darker nest for me to go to is, um, I think it's fascinating to think about. We, we, we just, so we've been a country for 200, 201 years. <laughs> and 200 plus, right? And, uh, and our, our uh, national debt went up by more than 10% in a few days, 10%. 
So we spent 250 years. Um, and it's, it's, it's shocking. We should all, we've, we have become a far less credit worthy nation in the last few weeks. And that should be, it should be something we're paying attention to because you can't print money. You have to borrow money if you're, if you're going to go into debt and we go into debt massively. And so I wanted to talk just a tiny bit about that because there's, there's been a couple of, of, uh, of politicians that went out and said, you can't put a price on a human life. And, and, and yet we all understand that that is a, a scary and a dangerous thing to say. Of course you can put, we don't want to. I mean, I, I'm not saying that it's right or good, but I am saying that we, we had what? Debt was like 23.5 trillion. We're gonna be well over 25 before this is over, maybe even a lot worse. And the, the exercise you go through is that, okay, let's give everyone in the country 1200 bucks, okay? Well, if, 12, if, if 1200 is good, why not give everybody 12,000? I mean, that would be, or 120,000, right? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, is if you go to, you're like, well, I, there's not, you know, that would be all the money in the world is 120,000 or 1.2 million. At some point in time, you get to a point where you're like, well, that's absurd. Um, but the, the same thing applies. There's a continuum there. And at some point in time, you're like, ooh, you know what? We actually don't have the money. We cannot do that thing, even if our hearts would be happy to do so. And, uh, and you know, in the United States of America, our, there are several government agencies that value human life. They have... An, an, an algorithm that they put together and it's it's usually between about six and and under ten million dollars whether it's the FDA or uh, or um, or um, a Department of Transportation or that sort of thing and so I did want to just at least th just throw it out there about the idea of of it in it and it might be a future conversation about um, universal basic income and some of those things which I think would be really profitable for us because I don't get it and I, I'm a relatively bright guy, but I don't get it at all. And we have kind of become unhinged about, we're just looking at the government saying, well, cool, you pay all the rent, and then you pay all the mortgages, and then you pay us all a stipend. And um, what do you guys think about some of that? <laughs> about the, so uh, you, you, start, you started with some, you uh, just kind of cautionary looking forward about the, you know, the government just how, how much in debt we're going and the gov government bailing people out, businesses and individuals and stuff like that, and uh, sort of uh, casting a warning about that. We can't just print money to do this. So, I mean, there has to, if we do that, there's going to be some consequences and there's probably some, a, a limit, a natural limit to how much we should expect to do that, at, if nothing else, in terms of the risk that we're associating with it. So, um, and then I, I've, so, and then if you're asking about, well, to, to take that to the extreme and to say like, well, hey, uh, we got it, we, we, <laughs> we, we, we got to be careful with how far down that line we go and to go too far down the line of, you know, government just buying itself out of this crisis. I, I think I would share your concern that we have to be careful with how far down that line we go. And I don't, I, I think we're learning lessons. I think we're learning some interesting lessons that the, the crisis is teaching us that maybe a certain, a certain level more of that may be beneficial. <laughs> we may find, you know, the Alan Yang's, uh, you know, plat that was his sort of single plank platform on the democratic side in order to, to do the, the, uh, guaranteed income. Maybe that is a way to support a safety net for people and 
empower them to continue to contribute on the consumer side, you know, the, the demand side of the supply and demand equation, because that's part of what we're finding here is that the, the mechanisms of the economy are sort of being dismantled in a way that doesn't allow people, you know, the latitude to buy the things or to need the things that they want in a lot of occasions, right? It's sort of a, it's a, uh, demand side problem as much as anything the stuff is out there to buy toilet paper aside but it's just that you know people don't need gas right now when they're not driving as much right um it's all survival rations and stuff like that so we're moving into a different form of consumer culture mentality where that's part of the collapse of it is restaurants can't exist not because you know, the, the supply of, you know, people aren't there to buy the stuff they want, which is sitting down in the, in the, uh, the restaurant or sitting down in the theater or whatever it is. So, um, you know, in the absence of that, the perpetual motion machine of consumer culture, how do you support people? Who are we as a culture? Do you just give people money? And so they have something to spend? I, I don't really know. I mean, I think we are learning some lessons about the limits there. Paul, I want to ask you, I want to ask you the same question because Ray took my incredibly concise and well put together uh, a really coherent thought and made a, and just made it really messy. You made a uh, out of it. And, and I really am not, I'm not satisfied with that. I think it was really unfair when obviously I was just like, Hey, I'm obviously crapping my pants here. And should I be this frightened? Um, yeah. was, everyone knew that that was where we were going, except Ray. So thanks for nothing. Ray like spiced it up and made it even worse. Oh, yeah. Okay. Take, so I'm, bring it in I'm, for a landing. I'm going to, well, I'm going to do what you do when you don't have an answer to the person's question, which is to reframe the question. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, I will write off and I'll say, I don't have the answer, uh, the solution of like how we sort of adjust the current, <laughs> you know, model to like work. Right. But my, my sense is that what, is being revealed right now is is structural flaws in our current paradigm as far as our economic system goes and our social system goes and our ways of social organization go and so looking back so here here's a little like detour into paradigm shift right you guys have read thomas kuhn the structure of scientific revolutions right mit from the 60s brilliant looking at scientific revolutions and you look at the Copernican revolution, you look at the Einsteinian relativistic revolution of the two main ones. And what happens with those is that there's usually like one or two little things that can't be explained by the old paradigm. Like it's a gap and it doesn't work. And then Galileo and Brahe and Kepler come in and they go, here's the things that didn't work in the old Ptolemaic system. Right. And then they come along and they explain, well, this is why, because the whole vision of like how this thing works was wrong. And it, then that was a paradigm shift into, into a geo, uh, you know, heliocentric kind of, kind of universe. Right. And Einstein comes along, there's like Newtonian physics completely worked. Right. Except for the speed of light through a vacuum. Right. So like Einstein's noodling on, it's like, wait a second, we've completely misunderstood how gravity works and what particles are and all of this thing. And then that like explodes into a whole completely new way of seeing the universe, which which works in a way in which the old one didn't. So I would say, OK, now let's look back on the last 
I mean, I would say easily 50 years, but you could go back 200 years and say structural flaws, weaknesses, or inequalities in the paradigm of consumer capitalism, in capitalism, you know, as such, especially when it's turbocharged by technological advancement. So the rivalrous dynamics associated with competition, like good competition, and we're going to get good things, you get these asymmetrical advantages bestowed by those who get the technological advantage first, and then power starts to go in the direction of those, and competition is no longer on a fair ground. And as we know, free markets are not free. There's all sorts of regulatory you know, things that favor one group on certain interest groups over another, certain industries over another, right? I just read this morning, like the whole fracking industry is basically a bubble, right? That's been based on like, uh, you know, speculative investment coming in from hedge funds and from other, you know, pensions that are going in through, through brokers. That's probably a bu bubble, according to, you know, certain people that's going to bust, that's going to burst possibly in the next year, right? That's going to burst. So we look back 10, 12 years ago, the housing bubble burst, the tech bubble burst 10 years before that. We've got a series of bubbles that are bursting, a series of catastrophic structural breakdowns in our system that are never really fully put back together again, right? The amount of consumer debt still being held from the, from the bubble in 2008. And now here we go with another like absolute shock to the system. So my view is that we are being presented with the need for a paradigm shift in how this entire structure is created socially, economically, I would say politically as well, but politically can just kind of follow along with the economic forms of organization, I believe. Um, and you know what? So, so one of the things, I mean, I'll just, I'll just wrap up. Like, so, so a couple of things that are needed for a paradigm shift is the people who are part of the old paradigm, even Einstein himself, as quantum mechanics started coming in as another paradigm shift for relativity, the old ones have to die out. They don't give up. They don't give up their view. They have to die out and the new kind of view, like those who see uh, the world you know, being organized according to, to the new way, you know, they, have to, they have to find power and they have to, you know, um, well, I'm not sure exactly what they need. I'll leave it at that. Well, Can I just say, I think Paul, Paul took your, your initial point even farther afield than I did. Is that true, Jeff, or no? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, good. I just wanted to say that, although I confess I did make a total hash out of your original ideas. No, I'm not. To, to try to bring it back to where you started, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, Paul, um, and, and I take a lot of your, the things you just said. Yeah, very interesting observations. Um, world historical, universal historical. Um, if, if there is the, your analogies about, you know, uh, Einstein's uh, insights and stuff like that, you know, Jeff started by sort of focusing on government debt and this concept of sort of the government's f going into debt and funding its citizens as something that was potentially frightening and has been now introduced. And is that part of the new normal or not? What, what do you think is the key th in that world? Like what is the key thing you've talked about kind of the consumer culture and the systemic qualities of what we've got going on today. What, what would you put your finger on if you could as to the, the one or two things that are the things that represent the, 
what's collapsing most, you know, or that represents the thing that's not working, that is going to be reinvented? Is it around, the, from an economic standpoint, you know, from, from the point of view of government debt or government, you know, consumer culture, what is it that is the key? Well, I, I, would, I would point to the fact that we have an economic system that doesn't actually support our people. You know, there are so many people in debt, there are so many people without adequate health care, and there are catastrophically mounting deaths of despair, you know, suicide, drug addiction, et cetera, that are being tied directly to the lack of meaningful and nourishing work environments, right? The hollowing out of the working class. So, I, you know, I, I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough from an economic standpoint, financial policy, monetary policy, all that stuff. But if you want to make it an economic lens, I would say it's a, it's a fundamentally non-working economic system. Yeah, I, want you, I wanted to force you to answer Jeff's question. Yeah, well, let me riff off that. I mean, yeah. obviously, obviously, it's the failing of both of you two and not the way I framed the original question. I mean, everyone who's heard this last 10 minutes really understands that very fully. And it's, this is what's so fun and, and a little terrifying because Paul is, is so bright and Ray, you are so brilliant and, and you two are, but um, you're so often so wrong that it's, it, it shakes me up. It really does rattle me uh, quite a lot. I, I, I couldn't disagree. I might've by point by point, completely, completely pathetically disagree with everything that Paul said, except from this point. And, and, I, and I hope we can maybe come to this at the end. You know, Paul to me is the guy who, who in, in uh, you know, about 1950, is yelling at science because they've, they've cured cholera. But we've got all this other horrible shit out there. We've got flus and this and that and things like that. So we've, we've eliminated all of this. We've victoriously defeated smallpox and cholera and all this stuff. But he's like, we're broken because there's still sick people out there and people die. And so obviously it's broken because we have this horrible stuff. We're standing at the pinnacle of human history, economically, socially, I believe spiritually, in every way. And, I disagree. And well, I, I hear you. I mean, you, you made your point well, but it's, it's the fact of the matter is, is that um, the, what you are saying is we're still not there. I think at the very least where we could agree is if, if there are good things. And I think that, that from poverty and child mortality and a gross domestic product across the world, uh, we're just, I mean, I, what, what would be a better time? The 1600s with the Netherlands? Or, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that things need to change. But, you know, the Copernicus didn't change the idea that heavenly bodies were evolving around each other. He tweaked it. I mean, you're talking about scrapping it. And what? You know, it's like, I, I think the only thing that, that solves the problems worse than capitalism is socialism and communism as as shown through history not 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 theoretically or this and that so i do i do like ray's point of saying you are right that we want things to be better but what would possibly do it to me it all comes down to a, a, a you know like a i don't it's like a fairy tale sort of thing is it like yeah we've got a golden goose consumerism capitalism shits out these golden eggs and we all benefit from it but it's not perfect we need it to be we need to be giving eggs to to more people to to in a better way but ripping open the golden goose to go inside it is 
just kills the golden goose. And so we are not going to solve this, this podcast, but it's fun because I think that we, I, I, I'm desperate that we're like, Hey, we could and should do better. I think we should use capitalism. You're saying, I'm not sure we need something completely different. And um, I'm desperate for us to be closer to that, but we're probably not going to, you know, probably not going to solve that um, any more than we're going to solve the problems of Tiger King, which is kind of where I want to go next. <laughs> I'm sure by the end of that conversation, we'll, we'll have some insights that'll inform the solution to this topic that we're just ending. But yeah, uh, yeah. We'll see. yeah. What do you, yeah. What's your thoughts on Tiger King? Well, so first of all, you know, there was, <laughs> so it's so funny when you talk to people because there, there are people who are all on a continuum and, and there's, I was talking about, it's fascinating, it's a car wreck, it, it's, a, it's a Rorschach test, it's this and that. And, and I had a, a couple that said, you're just a disgusting human being for watching it. We, we spent three minutes watching it and it was such a, a front to all of humanity and, and the animal world and everything that we think you're disgusting for having watched it. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I just wanted to see if you were team Joe or team Carol, but... Uh, <laughs> Did you have you guys seen it? Well, I have, but I think Paul might fit into the category of people you just described. <laughs> I'm I'm I, I'm an outlier in this conversation. Uh, Ari and I we tried it. We gave it like 15 minutes, and <laughs> and we were so troubled by that this initial shot of this snow leopard, which is a magisterial being trapped in the back of this van. We <laughs> just got nauseous and turned it off and couldn't watch anymore. So sorry to be a snowflake. That's good. I, I mean, I actually think there is something very powerful to that. I really do. Um, and I don't think it diminishes unnecessarily um, the rest of the stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, it does, it, it is problematic. Um, and, uh, but I, I also think it might be interesting in a, a week or two uh, to be able to, um, to see what we could do about, um, about that, um, about, what, whether or not there's anything that's that's interesting or noble or good or can we grow or can we do anything else or um but but yeah paul blew up our party once again so let's move on <laughs> well i will say we're racing it yeah you, well if if we do come around if, if paul you do come around to watching it at some point um we can discuss it more full, fully but i the thing you mentioned jeff that i totally agree with is that there is a rosach rosach quality to it um in the sense that you, you one feels very a, a range of emotions there and different people see different things in it, I believe. And I believe I see different things in it depending upon what lens I'm looking at it through. So yeah. I count myself as one of the, a, a, a member of the audience that is thoroughly disgusted <laughs> by even the milieu that I feel like I, I had feelings to turn away immediately. I didn't, I kept with it. Um, and watched it through and, and enjoyed it when I watched it through certain lenses. Um, I, I watched it through a lens of a watcher of a lot of documentaries. And so I asked myself, what, what is this guy doing? What is, is he telling the story he wanted to tell? Clearly he was discovering the story as he went along, which I think many of the best documentaries actually are those documentaries where you don't really know where it's going to end. And I found this to be one of those things that you have a, a story being told where the, the, the guy who was filming a lot of this footage or a lot of the archival stuff that was being collected was finding its way into what the story was. I don't think it works as 
the thing that it started as, which was potentially an expose of the abuses within that world. It does serve as that, but it doesn't per- serve primarily as that. It really wound up being more of a an opportunity to rubberneck the these insane, these crazy personalities within that world. And that's what gave it most of its entertainment value, which was real, which was real. So it became a little bit more of a rubbernecking experience than an informative experience, but I think that's fine. You know, documentaries can do that. And at the same time, if it smuggles in a message about animal abuse, (laughs) more power to it, I feel. I think it did it quite effectively. You know, if it brought, quite frankly, it probably brought more attention to the real issues around wild game abuse in this country than a more straight up documentary Mm. that didn't have those anchors of these very questionable, flawed, uh, scandalous type of personalities and events would have done. So if if that's what it takes to make people pay attention. Ooh, Ray, I just got to say, you did it again, Ray. You made me want to watch it every time. You did it again, Ray. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree that there's a little bit of a spoonful of sugar element to it because it was, uh, right. it was castor oil and probably castor oil that we needed to have in our system. But uh, right. it, was, uh, it, was, it was disguised in a way that allowed us to be school, uh, to fooled right. it, like children into eating it. Or exactly. It. Well, if, if the, uh, you did pose the question, to, I didn't realize people were asking the question in that form, Team uh, Joe or Team Carol. But since you, are you on one team or the other? Yeah, and I'm so I'm I'm kind of more horrified by it because this has been my takeaway from it is that there is no one who's not either Team Carol or Team Joe. I see. Okay. And 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 I think the interesting thing, and by the way, documentarians they can make they can tell falsehoods by showing the truth. Do you know what I mean? They can they can um they can they could have made one a villain and and but um I was Team Joe and and wow. how the how can I possibly be team Joe? I mean, just at an emotional level. Exactly. Um, I, I, in some ways, and, and it wasn't, I was rooting against Carol. I think she ultimately needs to win the lawsuit. She needs to, but you know, what she is doing to me is every bit as dark as what Joe is doing. Um, except Joe is much more a mess about it and maybe is even darker, right? I mean, it's just, there's no, in my opinion. And then let me flip on this because how to fix a drug scandal is a documentary where there are some heroes just and i don't think it's because the documentarian is cheating um whereas i was like hey maybe this is the nature of documentaries you know everybody looks bad and blah 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 but i want to encourage you guys i I have a very difficult time watching these documentaries um making a murder how to make a murderer and, and that sort of thing um because that because of my work uh, defending people, it, it seems very unfair and, and it, it is very fraught and wrought for me. It, it messes me up. But How to Fix a Drug Scandal, I thought, was very powerful. And, and also, I think, an, a really wonderfully done documentary with a couple of neat tricks where they have an actress reading from transcripts and they have her on the screen, which is a no-no for a long time, you know, because mm-hmm. that's the falseness. We're not going to do that. But we've gone into this world of documentaries where we use um, – uh, uh, cartoons and um, and other things that I think I think do get the truth out there. So I'll be interested if you guys haven't seen that, what you thought of it. Um, 
You know, that one, it, just as an aside, uh, highly recommended by our sister who used to work in the criminal justice system in Connecticut, adjacent to the Massachusetts one, and she highly recommended it. So yours is coming in highly recommended. That's our homework for next week, right? Yeah. And uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks is, is wonderful. So you know, he's, a, he's a religious slash secular saint. We've wanted to make him secular because we're uncomfortable with religious people, but he might be the most religious person that's been in our culture in the last hundred years in some ways, except maybe Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa, someone like that, right? Culturally. Yeah. Um, and uh, what it, it seems like just a genuinely special, lovely man. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not some of his vision it becomes a thing with us teaching children and whether that pedagogy can be powerful and meaningful. And man, I cried my eyes out. It was, it was really good. Hey, um, there is also just so if you didn't know, there's a documentary out on him that came out in the last year or so as well as the, the Hanks, uh, you know, the biopic. Um, I don't, I don't remember the name of it offhand, but if you... I'll find it. Yeah. I conflated them. Up until now, I've always thought they were one and the same. So that's great. Yeah. There's two. Hey, just to put a pin in it, I, I saw the, the movie and loved it. Also teared up and love to talk about it with you guys on a, on a future podcast. And also as a subject for the future pod, for future podcast, maybe homeschooling. With the breakdown oh. of the school right now and what's going, is something going to happen? Are we going to be doing more homeschooling in the future? Right. Really that's a good one. Your thoughts as an educator, as, as a father rather, Jeff. That's a great, that's, I, let's, let's try to remember some of that. And then the last couple of things I wanted to hit you with is that um, I enjoyed Midway, which is interesting, but, but that's just more historically. I, I, I think Midway is one of the great fascinating what if points in in all of human history but certainly western u.s sort of thing i thought it was relatively well done and then luther the next uh, the next season of luther have you guys ever seen luther i believe that might be the best television in the history of the world wow i love it i just you know luther uh, bbc's luther bbc's um uh, Sherlock Holmes might be to me peak television in all of history for me so if you have a chance I know we're watching a lot and I'm not sure that's a bad thing but those are some good ones great we'll remember that now Luther's is that in one of the the uh, superhero universes is Luther no it's it's yeah. Idris Elba Elba okay. as a very um, conflicted um, troubled brilliant a detective in uh, in London uh, in uh, in Britain. I don't know what city it's. I don't forget. I thought it was London, but and so he's a guy who's willing to bend the rules to try to to make some some greater justice happen in ways that are very potentially troubling to lots of folks. And and uh, and I think it's a it's a fascinating window into so many things. So I thought you might enjoy that. And and that's a uh, you know I I think a six hour podcast was what America needed. Um, and I'm happy that I had such a big role in uh, making it a bloated and messy and ridiculous. Um, I'm proud of that. I'm going to wear that like a badge of honor people. All right. Fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll wrap this, uh, for today. Uh, Paul, did you have, uh, any final recommendations from you in terms of, uh, things to stream or books to read? Let's see, I guess I, I've been getting into, into books and, you know, I've been getting into, I've, I've enjoyed The New Yorker. Jeff mentioned The Wall Street Journal is a good go-to in these days. I've enjoyed The New Yorker, which tends to be deeper and not, you know, news of the day, news of the week type stuff. And that's, I've enjoyed that. But I'm, I'm reading um, N.K. Jemisin's um, 
fifth season stone sky. I'm not sure what she calls a trilogy, but you guys might be aware of it from a few years ago. I'm in the last third of the, of the third book in the trilogy, and it's really quite outstanding, remarkable science fiction. And on my bedside table is Ben Lerner's The Topeka School, which uh, has gotten some high press. So looking forward to reading that. I don't know if you guys have read that one. Great. Wonder what about it. So we'll, we'll um, save some of the, uh, yeah, so we'll read some common things and watch some common things that maybe we can discuss for next time in a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I don't need to create a lot of extra work, but it'd be neat for us to post these on the, on our little website or something on our little podcast thing, because um, I do want to have some of this commonality homework uh, to come back and do some of this next time we're together. So love you guys so much. This is medicine to me, your medicine to the nation and the world. Love you guys. And thanks for letting me go on about paradigm shift. I did my share of bloatedness. Agreed <laughs> <laughs> on all counts and happy Easter to you guys. And yeah. to everybody. We failed happy to Easter guys. Easter Sunday. You might hear the strains of the Bocelli, Andrea Bocelli. Woo. My wife is streaming that. We're doing that with our family. He's got an Easter, uh, uh, show that's being streaming across the world right now so you may even be able to hear it so it's a good one to go out on love you guys all right okay Okay. love you see you guys soon Bye. bye